What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode seven of the Off Day Debrief, or the Oddcast, as we like to call it. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, and with me, as always, Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, Brandon? Stats, here we are. Week seven. It was one of those weeks in the NFL that was weird, in that, you know, you, you think you know what's going on, and you, you make your predictions, and then things go a little bit differently in some ways. In some ways, they end up exactly like you expected. How are you, Stats? I'm good. I can tell you're in a good mood. Because even though the Eagles didn't win, you are super happy right now because the Cowboys lost and they didn't just lose. They got destroyed. We're going to get to that. But before we do, I just want to remind you, please rate, review and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. If you leave a question in your review, we will answer it, especially if you're mean to one of the other SB Nation NFL shows. We really enjoy that. And speaking of the other SB Nation NFL shows, we are joined by RJ Ochoa. What is up, RJ? You are obviously a Cowboys expert from Blogging the Boys, and you also host one of the other shows, SB Nation NFL shows. <laughs> I don't even know. What's the name of it again? Uh, it's uh, Lunas Football Lunas. Um, you know, to some people, Monday Football Monday to most. Um, the premiere show, honestly, the gold medal show. Um, the the Dak Prescott of the SB Nation NFL show, if, if you want to look at it that way to make things topical. Uh, but I, I've heard good things about this show. I've never listened to it personally. Um, but but you guys have a cute operation here, and, and I'm, I'm a fan. I will say, you know, for as much as I may have disdain in my heart for the Cowboys in general. Uh, I always do respect the one, the only, the RJ Ochoa, the the definitive source, I would say, uh, and, and obviously blogging the boys for Cowboys news. So so why don't we just start talking about them? And uh, RJ, the Cowboys lost last night. Uh, how do you feel? <laughs> uh, well, first, I'll say that streak goes both ways. Uh, I, I find myself more entertained by the Eagles than, than I did before you and I became friends. Uh, so I think that's the highest compliment I could pay you. Um, obviously, Monday night was terrible. I, I, you know, there's there's no positive way to spin it. I think we've all sat and and looked at ourselves in the mirrors uh, when it comes to the teams we cover and the teams we root for, and and found a way, right? Like you, you put lipstick on a pig, whatever you want to call it. But uh, this team is is really broken. Um, it, it has a lot of shades of the 2015 season. Obviously, a year that the Eagles did not win the NFC East as well. Um, and, and that was a really frustrating year for the Cowboys and for Cowboys fans because Tony Romo got hurt, ironically, in Philadelphia. And it, it proved how bad of a coaching staff they had, that they could not overcome that. And obviously, your franchise quarterback is a really important piece to your team. But we have seen a lot of teams, most teams, sustain that loss. And the Cowboys are incapable of that. And I think the, the most disappointing, sort of sobering thing at this point after the Monday Night Football loss is that this, this is a group of people, coaches and players alike, that, um, you know, you, you've, you've said, Brandon, I know here on the Oddcast and, and other places that, it, that a lot of people thought, oh, Jason Garrett's gone. Everything will be fixed. And I think Jason Garrett was this, like, safety net for people from an excuse standpoint, right? Like, any, anything that they lose to the Jets last year, lose to the Bills on Thanksgiving, whatever, up. Oh, when Jason Garrett's gone, it'll all be good. That's gone. And not only is that gone, but the hero that came in to save them week in and week out and Dak Prescott is gone. So there's nowhere for anywhere else to hide. There's, there's nowhere for Zeke to hide when he fumbles it twice. There's nowhere for the defense to hide for DeMarcus Lawrence, for Jalen Smith. And and they all look pretty exposed right now. 
I'm not putting this game on the defense. I mean, it's 38 to 10. I know it looks bad, but when you turn the ball over four times as an offense, like I can't put that on the defense. I thought the defense played well, especially early in the game. Kyler Murray had 188 pass yards and 80% of those came on one play. So it's not like Kyler was lighting them up all day. I actually put this game on the offense. And like you said, you know, Mike McCarthy, not impressive in this one. I thought the game plan was very, very conservative. I didn't think they let Andy Dalton attack down the field at all. To me, the offense was the problem in this one, not the defense, which is new for the Cowboys. I think that's fair. Um, the defense certainly didn't help, but the defense did hold on early. It was the first game this season that the Cowboys haven't allowed any points in the first quarter, which certainly would have been nice when, when they had a great offense uh, with Dak Prescott. But yeah, I, you know, I, I certainly blame the offense, but I really I don't blame Andy Dalton. I know that that might be a popular take. He's, he's not Dak Prescott, despite what Twitter people might have you believe. Um, but, you know, it, it should be said, and and not to supremely defend Mike McCarthy, he's operating without his starting quarterback, starting left tackle, right tackle, center twice over if you consider Travis Frederick's retirement, his starting tight end, um, and he's got a, a running back that the team that he joined decided to pay before he got there and put the ball on the ground two times uh, throughout the game against the Cardinals. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if you're the Cowboys, you know your defense is bad. You can't turn the ball over to your point stats. You certainly can't turn the ball over on your side of the field. And that is, you know, to, to I guess, touch on Zeke, uh, after the game, he was really self-critical. Um, he said that it, it was on him, that he's supposed to be somebody who the team can rely on. And, and you can you can say that all that is cliche, but that is a level of accountability that is really absent among the rest of the team. And so if, if you're looking for things to feel good about, um, Zeke is somebody who at least has the right attitude uh, about how to fix this thing. Now, RJ, I want to talk about the Cowboys front office because, uh, you know, I my a lot of issues, my issues with the Eagles are with the front office right now. We can get into that later in the show or maybe not. Whatever. But mentioned- right now, though, <laughs> uh, Cowboys. Uh, yeah. So you look at Ezekiel Elliott and this is a guy, a running back who now has the six most career touches. I want to stop down on that. Six most career touches of any running back in the NFL. How old is Zeke? Like 24, whatever, 25. <laughs> uh, pretty crazy. And this is a guy they paid <laughs> before Dak, Pre- Dak Prescott. So like, so what is this team doing? Also, I feel like we're not probably talking enough about, because it hasn't come up yet, how bad like the offensive line is. Like how, how much that's in shambles. And now you have Zach Martin leaving the game with a concussion. Um, yeah, so, so how are you feeling about this front office, basically? Uh, I mean, not good. Uh, you know, I don't know. Honestly, you know, um, the Cowboys every year we see the same graphic in March, right? That's like the, the front, the first round picks that the Cowboys have had since, since 2010 from Des Bryant now all the way through CD lamb. And it's like, man, the Cowboys front office is so good. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's not hard to hit in the first round. You know, the first 32 players in the draft should all theoretically be superstars uh, to some different level. I mean, you get my point, but um, I mean, you know, the offensive line is really bad and, I think it was obvious for some time that, that 
you know, nothing lasts forever. That was really obvious when Travis Frederick retired. Tyron Smith has not played a full season since 2015, uh, ironically, all things considered. And so, you know, the, the writing has kind of been on the wall. I don't think anybody expected the bottom to just fall out. I don't think anybody expected Lyle Collins to show up to camp out of shape and that to plague his entire season. And so there is, I think, a combination of not looking ahead enough and bad luck, to be honest. But those are things that they should be able to overcome. But to your point, I mean, they're starting uh, a first year and a second year undrafted free agent tackle at right and left tackle. They're starting a rookie center, the one that they drafted after the trade with the Eagles um, in the fourth round this past year, Tyler Biotish. Obviously, Zach Martin left the game to your point. Connor Williams is kind of the the most hated uh, Cowboys offensive lineman, or he's kind of the biggest poser, the, the one that, you know, a lot of Cowboys fans are like, he doesn't belong in, in the group with Tyron and Travis and Zach and Lyle. And ironically, now he is the only one that is left and, and that is able to play of, of their original projected five back in, in the early days of last offseason. And so, you know, this front office, I, again, I think they're, they do a fine job of uh, visible things. And I, I think that, you know, people want to see them go out and acquire talent. They went and traded for Amari Cooper two years ago. They traded for Michael Bennett last year. They're, they're certainly not shy, but this particular offseason, they have been very insistent. And I think that's, I used to say that after the Cowboy, after Des caught it, I, I really believed that the, <laughs> that, that the Cowboys tried to go pick back up at, on the field at Lambeau that that was kind of how they built their team like all we have to do is go back to that spot and we can finish it out and go win the Super Bowl and that's just not the case the NFL changes year in and year out and they have such a difficult time projecting in a lot of ways in in the the market in paying Dak I mean you mentioned they paid Zeke they paid Zeke because Zeke forced their hand he held out Demarcus Lawrence threatened not to get shoulder surgery and they had to pay him so that he could I mean th- they are not good at looking down the line they are purely a reactionary front office i feel like the cowboys are in the worst possible place to be in as a franchise because i think they need a significant rebuild the offensive line as you mentioned is in shambles the defense is completely awful for some reason they just don't realize that you need good safeties to have a good defense and the problem is jerry jones is never going to do that because jerry is in complete win now mode i want to say this as delicately as possible he's an older guy uh, he's trying to win one more Super Bowl, especially one that he gets all the credit for because he hasn't had one of those. He's never going to be in rebuild mode. So his goals are different than what's best for the long-term interest of the franchise. And I feel like when that's the case, you're screwed. You follow the Cowboys obviously a lot closer than I do. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I certainly think that Jerry wants all the credit, right? And, you know, that that kind of happened sort of circa 2014, circa 2016, right? He was even executive of the year and things like that. And, you know, because w- when you win, nobody cares. Like, in 2016, nobody cared that the Cowboys spent the fourth overall pick on a running back. You know what I mean? Because it, it looks smart if you win no matter what you do. Um, obviously, the, the fundamentals of it were just as broken as they are now in terms of how visible they are. Um, but... Yeah, and I think the Cowboys deserve credit um, in some weird respects because, you know, they truly don't ever collapse like they are now. I mean, the the Cowboys were uh, one in three after the first four weeks of the season. They were never one in three under Jason Garrett. And, you know, obviously not the best head coach for this team, but say what you will, he found a way to just be be good enough to be in the conversation at Christmas time. And yeah, I, I think it's it's really upsetting that the Cowboys won't invest at, at safety or at defensive tackles. I mean they're they're in a division with Fletcher Cox and, and they realize how 
you know, important of a piece that can be to your defense, and they won't do it. They, they insist on their own things. I mean, look at their draft class from last year, and, and they didn't have the first-round pick. They traded for Mark Cooper, and that's fine, but their best rookie from last year is Brandon Knight, the undrafted free agent tackle that they're starting in place of Tyron Smith. I mean, their second-best player is maybe Tony Pollard, to put in perspective how broken it is. So, RJ, I mean, the Cowboys are here, despite all this, despite despite all of what you just said, because the NFC East is so terrible, or as the NFC least, as you like to call it personally, by no other name. <laughs> um, you know, the Cowboys are at two and four at the top here. The Eagles are in second, one, four and one. You have the Giants at one and five, third, because they just beat the last place team, Washington football team, also one and five. Uh, you you don't want the Cowboys to win this division, do you? I don't. Um if the Cowboys went, I don't know, like four and twelve, like they did in twenty fifteen or whatever, obviously you would point to Dak Prescott missing the season and the slew of injuries and the uniqueness of this season certainly hasn't helped. On and on and on. Um, but I think a lot of Cowboys fans want to see rock bottom. They want to be dragged. They want to be buried because they they want to see legitimate change. And I think we've all been there. Um, but but that just hasn't happened. And but I think change where. You, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe that's 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 a important question, but it's it, it's a vague one because the you can okay. So Jason Garrett was was part of the problem, right? We don't know if Mike McCarthy's the problem. Um, how, but you know, the, the last time the Cowboys were even in an NFC title game, as an example, John Elway had never won a Super Bowl of any kind. You know, I mean, Marvin Harrison was in college, and so you you look back through all of that, and I hate to be this guy and have this take, but there's one common denominator. And it's the general manager. It's the ownership group. And I, I know that's an easy excuse, or it sounds like an easy excuse to the world, but it really is an issue. I mean, consider we're recording this Tuesday morning, and Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones are going to speak to the media multiple times this week themselves, because that's the way it goes. And it's just an endless, you know, I don't say clown show, but just an endless circus week in and week out. And they'll come out and they'll say, we like our guys, you know, we, we need to fix the turnover differential, whatever. And, and in that respect, I feel badly for Mike McCarthy, because this isn't the team he signed up to coach from an injury perspective. Obviously, it's been broken in a lot of unique and challenging ways. And I'm, I don't know. I mean, so where I want to see change, I, I want to see change in places that haven't changed in a quarter century, which is a, a big thing to say. Jerry ain't firing himself. And he has said if another GM had his track record, he would have fired him. That's the best part. No, there's there's a lot of hubris uh, when it comes to the Cowboys. And it, it's either at, at, at the absolute best, they are extremely arrogant right because that's that's the best case scenario that they are just so arrogant that they're going to do things their own way because the worst case scenario is that they think all these things they're doing are legitimate and worthy and of sound mind um so they're either incredibly arrogant or incredibly ignorant and it's it's a frustrating place to be i mean you know mike nolan this you you all everyone saw the stat at the end of the game about how bad the cowboys defense is the worst since the merger and that's and and that's part of the I think a, a problem in the NFL is this this culture of you're my buddy you're my pal so I'll hire you whatever but this week I guarantee you the Cowboys will come out and say that they believe in Mike Nolan and they're they're working on things and and they're, they're going to be better and they're going to you know practice fundamentals because that's that's how they roll. RJ Ochoa blogging the boys and some other show on Mondays. Thank you for the time, sir. Thanks a lot, guys. Looking forward to a week uh, with nothing but NFC East games. We all deserve that. So we've talked a lot about the Cowboys, Brandon, but we should mention the Cardinals too because they did win this game and we generally like to talk about the teams that win. 
I mentioned Kyler Murray, nine of 24 passing on the day. That's like a Tebow-esque day for him. 188 yards. He did have 74 yards rushing. I don't get the Cardinals because at times when Kyler's running and they're doing, you know, interesting plays and they got a lot of jet sweep motion and stuff, their offense looks beautiful. But then you look down at the end of the day and you see 188 yards passing. They don't put up a ton of points all the time. Like, why aren't they better? Kyler has to be better with his arm. I've been saying that kind of as the season has gone along and I just like seeing it even more so on primetime last night against the Cowboys. There are just so many throws that were they're there to be made. Like guys are open, yep. just missing them. He has time in the pocket. It's not like he's being pressured, just missing the throw. Like woefully bad, just like terrible inaccuracy from him. So that's pretty concerning. And that makes me, you know, think that this Cardinals team, uh, they have enough pieces in terms of what they can do with, well, first of all, Kyler Murray's legs, you know, that does help make up for the inaccuracy to some extent when it comes to like beating up on bad teams and obviously their ground game and then their defense. I mean, Buda Baker is awesome. And I was, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, that's, that's like a nice little national game for him. Uh, get him some more attention. I mean, uh, yeah. So I think this Cardinals team stats is kind of where the 2008 49ers were, you know, I, I said that I thought before the year, they could maybe be like the 2017 Eagles. And then I got even some of those vibes last night when I'm watching them do the bowling pin celebration after the touchdown. But <laughs> I, I think they're more in the spot again of the 2019 49ers, obviously, you know, what that team was supposed to be, you know, before Jimmy G got hurt, everyone thought like the 49ers were going to make that leap that year because, you know, that was Jimmy G's 49ers. Yeah, 2018. Uh, and they were going to make this leap, but they didn't, you know, because things went south. But I think the Cardinals are in that spot where they can beat up on these bad teams. Like they just beat the Cowboys, they beat the Jets, but I don't think they're there yet when it comes to like being with the big boys. I think your assessment of Kyler is dead on. I almost wonder if Arizona should shift more towards a Baltimore Ravens offense like last year. Let Kyler run. He doesn't take hits. He's very good at protecting himself. He's incredible as a runner with the ball. He's so fast. I feel like they need to de-emphasize him as a thrower and lean into him as a runner to really unlock the potential of that offense. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what they're going to have to do. I mean, like, he's just not, he's not going to be able to carry him with his arm. Like, it's just the way he's playing right now, it's not going to happen. And they can do enough, again, to get by and beat some of these bad teams. But I just don't see them. I mean, maybe they can push for a wild card. I could see that. But, you know, I don't think they're serious contenders to win that division in the West. And uh, But, you know, look, this is his second year. You know, you can say shortened off season, whatever. I still think that team is progressing well in the long term. I'm really excited to see what they could be next year, but they're just not there this year. Yeah, I agree. An unfinished product in Arizona, but improving, much to my chagrin. All right, there's another Monday night football game to get to, and that's Kansas City and Buffalo. Um, the Chiefs run all over the Bills. They get the 27-16 win. This is incredible, BLG. 245 rushing yards for the Bills. 197 of those came before contact. That's 80% of the rushing yards were before a player was even touched. What the hell happened to the Bills' defense? Yeah, that was the thing. That was going to be my point here. Is like, remember when the Bills were known for having a good defense? Like, that was their thing. Like, it's like the defense is really good. You know, Josh Allen, whatever, like they can do enough to get by on offense. But like the defense is the hallmark of the team. I mean, you have a defensive minded head coach in Sean Payton. Like that's that's their identity in the past. And not so anymore. I mean, and it's a shame, too, because, you know, with Josh Allen cooling off, 
you know, after having this hot start, you know, we, we, I think we picked him in fraud or laud. We said, we said fraud because we didn't buy at the time, but then we kind of regretted it. Cause like, Oh, he, he actually is looking good and hot. Uh, <laughs> but he's since cooled off in two games here and the bills going up against some better teams, you know, not being able to beat them. Yeah. But I, I think it, it does come net back down to the, the running game there. I mean, and how fair is it, by the way, like for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl and then get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Like that's just it's it's unfair. It rhymes. I'm not trying to rhyme on purpose, but it's it's very unfair. And kudos to Andy Reid, by the way. 46 rushing attempts in this game. It's the most he's ever run the ball in a game, regular season, postseason, anything. Oh, and... trust me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure you're aware of that. Good for him for sticking what works. You know the the two kind of bugaboos for coaches where Pete Carroll didn't let Russ throw enough. And Andy Reid didn't run the ball enough. If they've both figured that out, like we're in trouble because if the Chiefs can run like that and also, by the way, have Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey, we're all screwed. It's a problem. Uh, you know, it's funny because like I'm looking at this game and I'm like, there's no way the Chiefs are going to lose two in a row. Right. I mean, Pete Sweeney would obviously think it's unthinkable for the, the Chiefs to lose a single game. How could they possibly win, you know, lose two in a row? And uh, sure enough, they didn't. Mahomes, you know, bounces back here. He looks pretty good. But yeah, it's not even all on him. I mean, you had the running game in there and it's it's just really unfair. That's the word for it. I mean, when you have the offense clicking like it is, it's like, what are you supposed to do? We had Pete, we had Pete on the show the other week where. It was like, hey, how do you stop the Chiefs? And it's basically like, oh, you just kind of have to hope and pray. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, so so definitely, you know, a nice effort there from the Chiefs. Uh, Bills, though, really disappointing. I, I guess that's probably the bigger story, though, like right coming out of that game. And like, we know the Chiefs are good, but now we've learned, like, the Bills might not be quite as good uh, as we thought earlier in the season. Yeah, one more thing on the Chiefs real quick. Just good news for everybody else. They're only about to add Le'Veon Bell to their offense. So I'm sure Andy Reid won't figure out a way to use him. Um, for Buffalo, it was like really bad. They had 115 total yards of offense in the first half. And they had drives extended by four Chiefs penalties. So they weren't even really moving the balls as well as that looked because the, the flags extended the drives. That's my worry with the Bills is that, yes, Josh Allen can be amazing as we've seen. But his floor is very low. And at any game, he could revert to rookie year Josh Allen. And that's a problem for the Bills because you can't have your quarterback be so up and down if you're going to be contending against the top teams. Yeah, I mean, he completed 14 of his passes for 122 yards. <laughs> what are we doing here? He had a 73.4 passer rating. Obviously, he can always do some things on the ground. He had eight carries for 42 yards. But, I mean, it's just not enough. Like, if you're not going to have him uh, hitting on those big plays, like – Josh Allen isn't a guy who's going to drive up and down the field all game and be super accurate and, you know, win in that way. He need, They need to hit on these big plays um, to kind of make up for that. And if they're not, it's kind of just – so it's almost like feast or famine in that regard. And uh, it's it's disappointing because uh, especially for, you know, uh, SB Nation NFL show's own and BGN's own Michael Kist, who's the biggest, you know, Bills and Josh Allen fan, um, really disappointing for him to see, you know, all this Josh Allen MVP talk, which was deserved, you know, early in the season, just kind of fizzle out. Yeah, when your offense scores less than 20 points two straight weeks against the top teams in your conference, like that has to be a concern. Now, fortunately for Buffalo, they have the get right game next week against the Jets. So maybe next week we're all back on the Josh Allen bandwagon. I don't know, but we're going to find out about that because after the Jet game, they play New England, which is a massive game for that division. And then they play Seattle, which is going to be so much fun to watch Russell Wilson and Josh Allen. But we're going to find out a lot more about the Bills. But hopefully next week they get right. They whoop the Jets because who doesn't whoop the Jets? 
And then they go into that showdown against New England where we'll really see, you know, if they're ready to step up and take control of this division. I think the AFC East is interesting right now, Stats, because you look, you know, at the Patriots and a lot of people are like, okay, they can still win this thing. They're still going to win this thing. They just lost to the Broncos. And the Broncos didn't even score. The the Broncos didn't score a touchdown. (laughs) They lost to a Broncos team that didn't score a touchdown against them. You know, Cam comes back from missing that game due to COVID. uh, You know, just doesn't look good. You lose to Drew Locke, who threw two interceptions and had a pass rating in the 30s. Again, they did not score a touchdown. That's it's not good when you when you lose to a team that does not score a touchdown. We're going to get to the other teams around the league because your power rankings are out. We're going to break that down. I know there's a bunch of teams you want to get to, and then we'll go over our survivor picks, pick new survivor picks, and uh, the oddities also of week six. So we'll do all that and more after the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Brandon, it is power rankings time. Week seven, you're 100%, totally accurate. Can't even argue with them power rankings. I'll read the top 10 as always, and then we'll get into it. Seahawks at one, Chiefs at two, Steelers at three, Ravens at number four, Titans up to number five now. The Green Bay Packers at six. They were two last week, so they dropped four spots. The Saints are seven. They didn't play. The Bucks at eight after whooping up on Green Bay. The Rams at nine, despite the loss to San Francisco. And the Buffalo Bills, as we've talked about, round out the top 10. I'm surprised to see Seattle at number one over Kansas City. Explain yourself. I mean, they were number one last week. Why would, why would I move them down? They, they played on a bye. And look, they returned this Sunday against an Arizona team that's coming off short rest because they just played a Monday Night Football like we talked about. And uh, yeah, I just think that's a good opportunity that for them too. They're, they're going to win that game. They'll be still first over. They'll be six and zero. Yeah, they're. Why would I not have them number one? Is the only difference between the Seahawks and the Cowboys the fact that Russell Wilson is so much better than any quarterback Dallas has? Uh, maybe, but that matters. <laughs> but like, where do you have the Cowboys in your rankings? The Cowboys are like what twenty five, something like that. And uh, yeah, I just I don't know. 
Maybe it's my bias, my Niners bias, not wanting to give the Seahawks credit. Although, you know, I give Russell Wilson a ton of credit. But Mm -hmm. I just, I can't look at that Seattle defense, which is on pace to give up more yards in a single season than any defense has ever given up in the history of the NFL. And I can't say they're the best team in the league. That seems too much to me. Doesn't matter, Russell Wilson. That's always my answer. I hate that you've been right so far with that. Like, I can't even really argue with it because the dude is freaking incredible. I'll, Steph, I want to talk about the Steelers here at number three because it's time to stop pretending like they're only good because they've beaten bad teams. I've heard a lot of people say that. A lot of people were saying that leading up to the – not you necessarily, but like just you know in general, uh, people leading up to the Eagles game when the Eagles were playing them the other week were like, oh, they haven't beaten anyone. It's like, what are you talking about here? I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, they're not beating juggernauts, but they're really good. They're allowing the fewest points in the league, and their offense has enough weapons – where Ben Roethlisberger doesn't even need to be like vintage Big Ben in, in terms of his prime. He just needs to be like uh, a term that a lot of people love to use, the quarterback, like the point guard. He just needs to facilitate the offense. He can basically be a high-level game manager, and that's fine because they have so many different options, both with their wide receivers and in the running game too, which they did in this game to beat the Browns. Um, and I think this was a really impressive win over the Browns. You know, obviously, I think a lot of people want to look at the Browns and be like, oh, well, they're just not as good as we we thought they might be. And there's some truth to that. But also the Steelers beat them, and the Browns were looking good. And the Steelers deserve a lot of credit for that. They took what the Browns do best, like their identity of running the football, and they shut it down. They said, nope, you're not going to do that, and you're going to look like a joke once you take that away. So I want to give credit to the Steelers here for being number three. Uh, they played the, the Ravens. Uh, in a couple of weeks here, and I'm really interested to see how that goes. You're a thousand percent right. The Browns were averaging almost 190 rush yards a game on the way in, and the Steelers held them to 75 yards on 22 attempts, which is less than three and a half yards per carry. They completely undressed the Browns' game plan, and Cleveland is not a complete team yet. They're not built to be able to win the game if they have to throw the ball. And when you're up by 24 points, like, sorry, the run game goes out the window. All of a sudden, Baker Mayfield doesn't look so good. Plus, he was banged up to begin with. I totally agree with you on the Steelers. They're really good. Ben is really good. This just, you know, everybody keeps saying, how do the Steelers keep finding all these wide receivers? Uh, They have Ben Roethlisberger as their quarterback. That helps a lot. Like, he threw a ball to, I think it was Chase Claypool. It was literally just over the head of the Browns defender. And the the defender was in perfect position in perfect coverage. Ben put the ball right there. I mean, when you have a quarterback that can do that, your receivers are going to look pretty good. I love the Steelers. I think if there's any team in the AFC that's going to give the Chiefs a problem, it is going to be the Steelers. And I totally agree with you. Number three was the perfect spot for them. You have the Ravens at number four. Where is the Lamar Jackson MVP? Because I haven't seen him yet. Yeah, was I was really not impressed with the Ravens, you know, who beat the Eagles. Uh, I'm not trying to say like the win doesn't count or anything. I'm just trying. They like, almost lost that game to the Eagles. I know. Yeah, it was almost the Eagles almost tied it up there at the end. Uh, it's weird because the Ravens own the NFL's best point differential, you know. So like, okay, that looks good. They were number one in DVOA heading into Week Six. Like the metrics are there, um, but they don't really pass the eye test fully. Now they're they're definitely a good team. There's no question about that. It's not like oh they're a fraud, but like they're not quite as elite. Yeah, Lamar just wasn't really haven't been really impressed in three out of their last four games. Now Lamar's just kind of been like either bad or like yeah, you know, kind of yeah. And uh, obviously, he can get it done on the ground still, and that kind of helps. Just like we were talking about with Kyler early, but uh, definitely just not an MVP form. 
Um, the defense is very legit and that helps. But yeah, this team isn't firing on all cylinders and kind of getting a sense from Ravens media. Uh, it's kind of funny because like, being in the press box for the Eagles game on Sunday, you have like Ravens media and they're like, they're like kind of like antsy. They're kind of like, what's what's this team's problem? Like, what's their deal? And it's it's like it's funny to have that perspective of like, okay, well, you know, you look at a team like the Eagles, they're way worse off. But so point there being is like even Baltimore media, and I imagine Baltimore fans too, are kind of like they can kind of sense something is like wrong under the surface, even though you know the record looks great and everything, although they did lose to the Chiefs. Like they're just they're not quite that elite dominant team they were last year. And it's kind of like it raises the question here. And I think that's why this game against the Steelers upcoming will be very interesting and very revealing about where this Raven team stands. I think there are kind of, like I said, there are more issues beneath the surface surface than we might realize right now. I do want to give them a little bit of credit because I saw this and it blew me away. The Ravens have scored 20 or more points in 29 straight games. That breaks a tie with the greatest show on turf Rams for the second longest streak in the history of the NFL. The only team that's done it longer has been the Peyton Manning Broncos. And that was 30 games. So the Ravens offense, even though like when you watch it, it doesn't blow you away. They find ways to get in the end zone. And that's an incredible number, even as we sit here and say Lamar Jackson hasn't been that impressive. Yeah, they can do enough on offense. Uh, you know, obviously so far, I think they were like 17th in DVOA heading into last week. Like, so it's not a bad offense. It's just kind of average and, and you expect more. It's kind of about, you know, opportunity cost. And I, I think they're just leaving opportunities on the field. Ultimately, they're not maximizing what they have necessarily. And, uh, and maybe they look, they have a buy here. Maybe they kind of figure it out. Maybe things start to click and Lamar gets going again. Like you can't rule that out. But it's a concern until we see it happen. Nice for the for the Ravens that they could win these games while they're still quote unquote figuring it out. Um, the mm-hmm. Eagles, BLG, back in the course of this game, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, the 49ers lost to the Eagles? And then they start coming mm-hmm. back and they're in it at the end of the game. And then I'm like, oh, I don't feel so bad about the 49ers lost to the Eagles. Like, how is it that they can look so bad for most of the game and then all of a sudden storm back and at the end they have a chance to win? I mean, this has just been a common theme throughout the Doug Peterson tenure, really, is that the Eagles are really good at digging themselves into a hole. And they're also good at either like, you know, climbing out of it entirely or like climbing out of it somewhat. And uh, they are a resilient team, but it, it just it's incredibly annoying that they have to be resilient. It's like they shoot themselves in the foot and they find a way to kind of recover to some extent and make the most of it. Uh, but but not quite entirely. And I think when you look at the Eagles these past two weeks, you have to kind of have some kind of positive feeling because they they faced a tough Steelers defense. Uh, again, I said it, they've allowed the fewest points in the league, and they put up 29 against them last week. Like they they and despite despite like missing um, and against the Ravens, which was also a very tough defense, obviously. Uh, they ended up with like Carson Wentz and Jason Kelsey as the only two starters <laughs> from this year. Like they're they're down to like no one. They're down to their third string right tackle, a guy named Brett Toth, who had never played any NFL snaps before this year. Um, they're just there's backups everywhere. Travis Fulgham, you know, who was only added to the team in training camp, is like dominating a wide receiver. Uh, they're relying on Jalen Hurts. To like, they have to get him involved in the offense. Their backup quarterback that they took at number fifty-three, a rookie, to like finally get a first down late in the second quarter. Uh, like things are just not in a good state at all. But with that said, I think Carson Wentz is playing better. Still not, you know, where he needs to be and not good enough. 
and the bar has been way lowered because of how poor we started this year, way lower than it should be for a $128 million quarterback. But I think if you really want to be an optimistic or an optimistic person about this, you can say the Eagles last two games were kind of like these moral victories, which I don't like that, uh, that mindset, but I think like they, they have made some kind of progress and given how bad the NFC East is, I think they they can, they can, they should win this division. No, they're clearly right in it in part because of that tie. Um, I, if you ask me which coach has the best two point conversions, short yardage plays in the league, I would have said Doug Peterson, hands down. I think he's fantastic at it right? beyond the Philly special. I just think that's, he's really good at those plays, but they score a touchdown at the end of this game and they have to go for two. What the hell was that BLG? You got, you've got Carson Wentz. And then he's at a mesh point with the running back. And it looked like they both wanted to keep the ball. And Baltimore was not fooled at all either way. They had both covered. I thought that was an absolutely horrible play call in that spot for Doug Peterson, which is something to me he never does. Yeah, I mean, Doug, too, didn't have the best explanation on local Philadelphia radio where he said, like, they ran out of play calls in, in terms of their two-point conversion. Now, why, now, in his defense, I think what he meant by that is that, like, you know, they only practice so many going into a game, right? Like, you, you don't practice just, like, a billion plays for that week. Like, you, you have limited practice time. So I think he meant, like, we hadn't, you know, practiced uh, a certain amount over because they had to, they had to go for, or they did go for two a lot early in the game, and they had a lot of goal line situations. So I understand what he was saying. No one's going to like that quote, and no one's going to like this explanation. But I understand where he was coming from with it. Now, with that said, I will criticize him in that Carson Wentz is the guy who like got them back into that game, making plays. So, and their running game, you know, which was missing Miles Sanders by the way, because Miles Sanders got hurt, and it sounds like he's going to miss a game or two here. You know, like, why are you putting the ball in the hands of Boston Scott, your backup running back, at all? Like, why Why right. is that the plan? When Carson Wentz got you back into the game, just call a passing play. Like, let him decide the game for you. I, I, that's what I don't like about it. It's like, Carson Wentz brought you here. Now let him either win the game for you or lose the game. Like, put it on him. Don't put it on anyone else. Especially, it's not like they had a ton of other really good options, too. Like, he was clearly your best player at that point. That that quote from Doug Peterson would drive me nuts. We ran out of so then call something you've already called. Like you could call the same play more than once, dude. I mean, I I agree with you. I'm sure that's not what he meant, but it sounds horrible. And I'm sure the Philly fans have jumped all over him for it. Now, let's get to the Green Bay Packers. Because a few weeks ago, you told me that the Packers are the second best team in the NFC. Then last week you said the Rams might be the second best team in the NFC and both of those teams lost. And the Packers especially looked horrible in this game. Aaron Rodgers looked horrible. 38 unanswered points by the Buccaneers. I mean, did Green Bay just play a bunch of cupcakes and now they played some actual competition and now they look mortal? We saw at times last year, and which led me to believe going into this year that like Aaron Rodgers might be cooked. Like he's not clearly. You look at the, what he did earlier in this year; he's not totally there. But he is like he's a little, you know. Maybe if we're we're talking about a steak here, you know, maybe like a little medium rare or something. You know, like he's he's somewhat cooked. He's not totally just raw. So that's a weird analogy. Anyway, uh, I, I think the point being is that there are some issues there still, and obviously. You know, his pick six really opened the floodgates there for the Buccaneers to take over. Uh, a lot of people, you know, you know, Tom Brady's going to get the headlines, whatever. I mean, that, that Buccaneers defense is the strength of the team. They're, they're number two overall in DVOA. Uh, just a lot of playmakers on that side of the ball. Really impressive win by the Bucs. I think it's not just about, like, the Packers being frauds. I think it's about that Buccaneers defense being good. 
Uh, that's how I look at it. That's how I'm going to spin it to justify <laughs> keeping the Packers uh, as my. They're still my second best team in my NFC rankings. The truth is, those stats, if, if we're going to be serious here, that it's wide open after the Seahawks. Everybody has warts in the NFC. There's no down. I don't even think the Seahawks are a dominant team. Why don't they? They might be the best right now. Are they dominant? No. I mean, Russ has to save their ass at the end of every game. Um, PFF did uh, say that the Packers had played the easiest schedule when it comes to pass defenses in the league up until this week. So, you know, maybe the, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are not on the FU tour. Maybe they just had a bunch of powder puffs and now we're going to see what they really are. Because if it's if it's bad like it was, like beyond the interceptions, I mean, there was a play where Robert Tanyan's running wide open down the seam and Rodgers just missed him, like missed him. And Aaron Rodgers, say what you want. He doesn't do that, and he just looked off the entire day. I know a lot of the talk I saw on ESPN, uh, Rex Ryan was saying basically like when you get pressure on Rodgers, he's not the guy that he was. That's like the biggest change in him. So maybe we'll see it you know, going forward if, if that continues, but the Packers did not impress me at all, and I agree with you on the Bucks. That defense is legit. You mentioned the Rams. Uh, I want to get into that a little bit because it's kind of – it's funny because like yeah before the game on sunday night you were giving me crap in in uh on on sb nation slack message for about the packers and i was like well maybe it's the rams who might be the best second best team in the nfc and i I didn't really feel good about the rams coming into this year and then you know they get to you know they win they get to four and one i'm like oh okay maybe i was wrong about the rams but then also looking at who they beat and it's the NFC East. So not the best, uh, you know, not the most quality wins there. And then, you know, they, they get pretty, they get defeated pretty like comfortably by the 49ers who just got blown out by Miami last week. So, so what is going on with the Rams and the 49ers in the NFC West stats? Well, Jared Goff was not good. And the 49ers, first of all, didn't have Brian Allen out there at cornerback. They actually had some starting corners out there and suddenly their defense looked a lot better. But even with that, Goff missed a ton of throws. The whole the Rams just did not look sharp at all. I don't know if they thought maybe coming in that they were going to roll over the Niners because the Niners looked so bad, but Goff was really off target. Cooper Cup couldn't hang on to the ball. He dropped the touchdown that normally he catches. The Rams just did not look very crisp, and the 49ers game plan was absolutely brilliant. It was maybe the best game plan I've ever seen Kyle Shanahan have because he totally protected Jimmy Garoppolo from himself. He totally eliminated Aaron Donald from the game plan. I mean, all they did was run screen passes and those little drop passes in the backfield that shouldn't count as passes when they do the sweeps to the wide receivers. And the 49ers were all night going down the field with those, and there was nothing the Rams' defense can do. So it was a perfect game plan by Shanahan and really an off night by the Rams, and that's how you get beat. That's just so funny because, like, last week we're here talking about – it's such a swing because last week you were talking about, like, what? They might not win uh, another game until – December or something like you felt and reasonably so I mean I get why you'd feel that concerned after getting destroyed by the Dolphins it's just funny how how much that swung uh, obviously getting Jimmy G back he looked healthier and a lot better in this game he throws the three touchdowns that's obviously big for that team's outlook that's the most deceptive stat line of all time all time why did Jimmy Garoppolo had three touchdown passes because I mean one of them was a fourth down to Kittle where it was a cover zero and Kittle broke the tackle and ran 44 yards for the touchdown. It was just a short slant pass. One of them was one of those drop passes to Debo Samuel that should not go as a pass. That is so bogus because it's clearly a run. Kyle Shanahan even called it a run after the game. And then one was a little two yard dump off to Brandon Ayuk. Like the idea that Jimmy Garoppolo was really good in this game is buckus. He was totally protected from himself. 
He didn't wasn't asked to do anything at all. He's still just as bad as he always was, but it looks really good. Like he, oh, he has three touchdowns. He's back on track now. Like, no, that's not really the case at all. So you're going fraud on Jimmy G. Uh, I want to bring up another good candidate here for fraud or laud stats, and that is the Chicago Bears, who are five and one. Now, I will say, as I wrote here in my power rankings on bleedinggreennation.com, the Bears don't score style points. And that's really what the Nick Foles experience is a lot of the times. Unless he gets like, he just goes unconscious and gets red hot like he did, you know, in the Eagle Super Bowl run or other times where he'll just get crazy red hot. But a lot of times he's kind of just, eh, you know, uh, and that's what's been the case for the Bears. It just feels like, they're such a fake five and one, right? I mean, they're the 13th in point differential. They're 23rd in a DVOA heading into this week. Like they're not as good as five and one says they are right. Right now they're on pace to be the worst 15 and one team of all time. <laughs> I keep doing it. And you keep doing it. Like I keep saying they're not that good. They're they're This is a, you know, they're illegitimate. Like these wins are not that impressive, but they all still count. Meanwhile, they're like, Hey, we're five and one. I mean, they're on track to make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, it would be a massive disappointment at this point now, right? When you're five and one after six weeks. Stats, I think what we're going to see, I really like this is really coalescing now in my mind. We're going to see Nick Foles and the Chicago Bears come to Lincoln Financial Field to take on your NFC East champion, Philadelphia. It's going to be Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles, the matchup that will make the city of Philadelphia explode. I mean, Nick Foles, 23 completions for 143 yards, like 23. Where is he throwing the ball? Does he throw in the ball past the line of scrimmage at all? Like, I still don't believe in him. I still don't think he's any good. I still don't think the Bears are as good as they look. And what did Bill Parcells always say? You are what your record says you are. And right now they're five and one. And as much as I want to ding them, like I got to shut up because they keep winning. I hate though, just to add this real quick, I hate everyone's like, oh, well, everyone is losing themselves over this quote about like Nick Foles saying it's better to win ugly than it is to lose pretty or something like, okay, obvious. Yes, it's better to win than lose. No one disagrees. But like, it's about sustainability. Are we stupid here? We're not stupid. Like, you know, sometimes, yeah, like you can do bad processes and they get good outcomes. That does not mean the process is good, though. I, that just drives me crazy. That's that's what makes Nick Foles so maddening to me is that like, yes, I know the result is there, but the process was bad. So you have to kind of like qualify that. Uh, but people don't and doesn't matter. And I'm, I'm fighting a losing battle here. So that's what I kind of learned when it comes to Nick Foles. So <laughs> given that, given this rate, given the way we're talking about the Bears and Nick Foles, they will win the Super Bowl. Like, you know, it won't make any sense, but it'll just happen. So imagine Nick Foles is a two time Super Bowl winner. But we'll find out a little more about the Bears. They got the Rams next week. They play the Saints, the Titans. Then they got a Vikings. That's probably going to be a win. And then they play the Packers after that. So I think a lot of our questions about the Bears are going to be answered. Uh, I do think they're going to have more than one loss after those games. But if they go 500 through that stretch, I mean, they'll be in prime position to be at the top of the NFC. We'll see what the Bears stats. We will see. All right, BLG. Now it's time for our survivor picks. We are both four and two on the season. You had the Giants over Washington. I had the Dolphins over the Jets. It's a couple of big risk takers we are. But four and two is four and two. So I'm going to take it. To, I'm going to be the Bears. Yeah, I'm taking the record. I'm taking it to the bank. What do you got this week? 
Uh, I am going to go with the Chargers, who are coming off a bye. They're one and four. Uh, but they are facing the Jaguars, who have the NFL's both youngest and least expensive roster. You know, we all thought the Jags might be a little bit better than we thought they were when they, they win, you know, they beat the Colts in week one. But since then, things have gone poorly. It's clear they need a refresh there in terms of firing Dave Caldwell and Mike Marone, uh, get a new start there. Uh, I try to take a team here that we haven't talked about in the survivor picks. I think it's kind of fun to do it that way. Now, obviously, it doesn't always work out, but uh, I'll take the Chargers because I really like what we've seen out of Justin Herbert. We talked about it on last week's show, you know, when the Chargers lost to the Saints on Monday Night Football, but I really like what I've seen from him. I think the bye week could help, you know, a rookie quarterback kind of, uh, you know, just have more time to, to get, you know, more reps and or just, you know, just refocus, whatever you want to say, whatever kind of uh, meaningless thing you want to attribute that to that i just did uh, and you can make up and use it as a reason to justify yourself that whatever that is but yeah uh, i'm going to take the chargers here and say they get there because just herbert's do he isn't he still hasn't won a game you know because they they won in week one with tyrod starting um and they really should have lost that game i think herbert is due for a win and i think he gets it here against the jaguars he is way better than i thought he was like way better his arm i mean some of the throws he makes fading away on the move like he's not just coughing the ball out there the throws are arriving with some heat on them they're accurate in terms of art arm talent like he he's probably better than philip rivers i mean philip rivers got the ball places that it needed to go but i still don't know how but like herbert's dropping dimes out there i love that pick by you i picked up not that anyone cares but i picked up herbert for the fantasy team and i have uh, been richly rewarded because he's putting up some numbers um all right for my pick i'm going i'm going a little risky here i'm going to take oh. the lions over the Falcons. Um, I, mm. You know, Matt Stafford gets a lot of heat. I think he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Uh, to me, he's doing it basically despite his coaching staff because I think Matt Patricia is a complete waste of space as an NFL head coach, not as a D coordinator, but as an NFL head coach, I think Patricia stinks. Stafford's basically doing it by himself out there. I have no confidence in the Atlanta Falcons. I don't care how they looked. I just... Any sports team from Atlanta right now, the Braves, the Falcons, I have zero confidence in them. I'm going to get a little risky. I know it's, you know, it's definitely putting my life on the line in this survivor pool because we know if we get the picks wrong, we have to stop doing this. That's basic survivor pool rules, which apparently is how this thing is governed. I, I like Detroit over Atlanta on the road. Uh, I think I'm going to ring the bell on that one. And I, I the Falcons, now look, uh, I really regret taking the Vikings over them and, and various pick leagues uh, last week because it's that classic experience. And we saw it with the Texans after they fired Bill O'Brien. Like sometimes that team that fires the head coach that just clearly should be gone, they get a bump, you know, that week because like everyone's on their A game because they know that like the pressure's on. They're being evaluated. Like the organization, you know, is taking a hard look at this thing. And uh, or maybe they're just happy the old guy that they didn't really play hard for is gone, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say. But that definitely is like a real thing because sometimes you'll just see bad teams be a good team or just you know break out of their funk because they get the head rid, rid of the head coach but then you know obviously they typically drift back into the losing it doesn't last so maybe it's a one week aberration for the falcons and they just beat the uh the the vikings there but i don't know i think uh they might be able to beat the lions here i i the lions beating the jaguars doesn't you know do much for me and there was talk that Patricia could get fired, you know, if they lost that game. So I could very easily see Patricia getting fired, like if they get embarrassed by the Falcons, because uh, that would be a pretty bad loss for them. So I, I don't feel super as confident in you. I acknowledge you said it was, a, you know, a risky pick. So uh, I think it's worth the risk. 
uh, on your end. But uh, yeah, I think the Falcons might win that one. Well, maybe Patricia can get fired at halftime and then I would get the fired head coach boost, right? That's true. Didn't think about that. That's some next level thinking by me. Okay, before we go, we always like to give you the oddities of the week, just weird things that happen. Uh, the Jets apparently like football and butts because they got a buttception by Marcus May, gets the interception against Preston Williams by pinning the ball up against his... The New York Jets are butt, and they like butts. <laughs> uh, and by the way, this is maybe the Jetsiest note of all time. I absolutely love this. After they played Miami... They traded defensive tackle Steve McClendon to the Bucks, But McClendon wanted to get out of the Jets organization so badly, he didn't travel with the team. He just hopped in a car and drove from Miami to Tampa Bay. I love the logistics of stuff like that. Like that's not something we think about. I feel like because we're just used to kind of like Madden thinking, you know, it's or like players aren't even humans. But like the human experience of like actually being traded and like, yeah, I'm not going back. Yeah, and imagine how that feels. Imagine how great that must feel to be like, ah, uh, you know, Owen six, and like you're you're just feeling down, and and then it's like, oh, I'm traded to a team that can actually win some games. Oh, I get to play with Tom Brady. Like what, Bruce Arians? You get to go from imagine that in your job, like in the middle of the week. You're at a company that's not very good. They have no prospects, to, you know, for advancement, no real superstars. And then all of a sudden your boss is like, oh, no, now you work at one of the top firms in this industry. Um, get your stuff or don't. Apparently you can just leave and go. Yeah, it's like we don't think of that human side of it, but good for him. Um, two more oddities, and they both involve our team. Start with the Eagles, who get a long run from Miles Sanders, who then fumbles the ball into the end zone, which the Eagles recover for a touchdown. Uh, JJ Arthur Whiteside has been an incredibly, incredibly huge disappointment for the Eagles who drafted this guy in the second round last year. So it's like so fitting that he scores his second career touchdown on uh, a, and to his credit, he deserved it. He hustled down the field. It was a good block uh, on that long run. He had another one, good one against the Steelers last week. This time he, he recovers it for a touchdown. I don't love Jamon Brown coming, the Eagles starting right guard in this game, coming up to JJ Arthega Whiteside after the touchdown and like lifting him up as like, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, Miles Sanders ran the ball <laughs> like down the field, made the good play, and like now we're raising up JJ. I mean, credit to JJ for hustling, but it, it was a little funny to me. And then the last oddity for me the 49ers get a big win on Sunday night football. They're super pumped. Jimmy Garoppolo comes off the field screaming, Let's go faithful, which is the name for the 49er fans somehow except that there's no fans in the stadium. He was screaming, let's go faithful to a bunch of cardboard cutouts. That's been a common one for the oddities this year. Just like the whole like players acting or coaches acting like there's people in the stands when there really hasn't been. Uh, is that, what is that? Is that like a psych myself up kind of thing? Is that, or do they, what is that? I don't know. I, I'm last I checked the cardboard cutouts are not weird. like super realistic. So it's not even like they look like real people. Also, it's quiet in the stadium after the game. So I, I don't know. Have you seen fans sitting next to cardboard cutouts anywhere? Because the Eagles had that happen this week. <laughs> I haven't seen like that. Was, that. That's one of the weirdest things I've seen. Like they're just sitting among cardboard fans. Like that's just so strange. That's a good way to, to ensure the social distancing, right? You get a couple cardboard cutouts next to you. Nobody could sit there. That's fair. That's a fair point. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We always like your reviews. And if you leave a question in your review, we promise you we will answer it. BLG will give you some props and some love. I know it's one of the things you like to do. So please let us know. We love to hear from you. For Brandon Lee Gouton, I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. 
We'll see you next week.